Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And today we are going to be talking about three reasons why Jesus went to hell. What? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, on, on first glance, it's, it's a little goofy, but it's biblical. It is biblical. And uh, we're going to get to exactly what we're talking about. But first, we are going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, Randy. So you gave me a a very um, abrupt what, Um, and you know exactly what we're talking about. I do. I'm prepared for it. That's right. Um, But like, what what is this about? What am I what am I talking about here? What what are what are we talking about? Okay, there are a couple of statements in the New Testament that are really kind of strange and kind of hard to understand. That says that after Jesus died and was buried. He descended. He descended into Hades. Yeah. And the early church picked that up. It is actually included in some of the early Apostles' Creeds. Let's let's read that, if that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll do the Apostles' Creed. This is the Reformed Church. Is, I didn't even know that there was just a thing called the Christian Reformed Church. Oh, yeah. That's a thing? It's That's a thing. Okay. That's a thing. So, in churches that are more liturgical in nature, they may recite or at least have in their liturgy the Apostles' Creed. And I actually had to learn it. I was confirmed in the Christian church. Yeah. So, in actually, uh, by the time I was there, I think it was the United Church of Christ. And they did the Apostles' Creed. Here it is. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born from the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, descended into hell, on the third day rose again from the dead, 
ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the quick and the dead. The quick and the dead? Or the living. I learned it the quick and the dead, and that's actually outside of the cowboy movie yeah, with I was Sharon gonna Stone say, in it. Yeah. That's actually where that comes from, the Apostles' Creed, the quick and the dead. Okay, I didn't know It's that. another way of saying the living and the dead. I got you. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and eternal life. Amen. Uh, interesting. It, it kind of sets up a uh, a standard for Christian theology that revolves around God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and organizes everything under that. It's pretty concise. I mean, it's, it's orthodox. That's what the Apostles' Creed does. Yeah, uh, we actually, uh, when I was with uh, One Mission Society, uh, we were founding a number of churches, and what we chose to do was we said, uh, as long as your theological statement is consistent with the Apostles' Creed and the Lausanne Covenant, we're okay. Okay. Go ahead with that. The Apostles' Creed is like a standard sure. for conservative theology. Which, uh, and, and you know, let's be careful. We threw around a few Bible-y words there. we mm-hmm. got to be careful. Uh, remission is forgiveness. Exactly. Right. So yeah. we we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Correct. That's what it says in there. Right. Um, he said we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Correct. You can turn that into the Roman Catholic Church on accident, but that's not what but that says. is not what it's no, saying. It's Catholic is the universal. universal. Right. So so the the big C Church, the the whole shebang, right? And what we're going to get in today, uh, the statement that he descended into hell is not actually what the New Testament says and not actually what the Apostles' Creed in Greek says. Well, let's get to that. Yeah. But let's first talk about the fact that some people glaze over this point entirely. Some people leave it out of the Apostles' Creed. And I looked that up, and uh, actually this has been a thing for over 1,500 years. Uh, The first revision of the Apostles' Creed did not include that line. It was added, the earliest uh, version in its first mention in the late 4th century. It first appears in written versions of the Creed in 650. And even at that point, uh, the fellow who writes it down says this is not included in the Creed of the Roman Church. Hmm. Whatever that meant to that person. Right. So... Yeah. So this has been around for a while. And today, there are a lot of churches that just drop that line. So point being, this uh, would probably be considered among many a weird passage of Scripture, a weird point in Scripture, a difficult passage in Scripture, um, which is why I think it's an avoided one to a lot of people, right? Because it's goofy, it's a little weird, um, and, and it gets... A little hairy, because depending on what tradition you come from, probably dictates exactly what you believe about this. Um, but with that said, and I would like to say this right now, um, Michael Heiser, a I think, will go down as one of the great theologians of my lifetime, at least, um, or our lifetime, I guess, um, 
He just passed away a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And he kind of had a motto that I really like. <laughs> and he said, if it's weird, it's important. <laughs> and in light of that, for, for, uh, for a great man, I say we dive into this. Okay. And we, and we look at something weird. Because it's it weird, and we're going to look and see just how important it is. That's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, and and one, one, yeah. more, one more thing to say, too. Um, you may not agree with where we land on some of these things. And that's okay. That that probably doesn't affect anybody's salvation, I would assume. Um, I would hope not. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Unless you've got some really, really crazy stuff about Jesus <laughs> attached to this that's just going to shake your whole world up. Um, th this is a mostly secondary concept. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, what's important at the end of the day is that we all understand that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. None come to the Father except through him, that it is it is... Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. Right. Right. And that life is found in, in right. our God alone. Right. 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 That's what we've got to understand. And one of the byproducts, I think, of understanding this phrase, he descended into hell or into Hades, is his power on the cross. He showed his power mm -hmm. on the cross. Right. 100%. So, so let's dig in. Let's dig in. So what do we believe? What What is happening here? What are the three points we want to point out when talking about what happened um, to Jesus on the cross? And may, maybe we have more. I have well, three. Randy may have more. I uh, Probably not. Okay. But I wonder, should we go to the Bible verses that we'll, actually talk about this? You want to do we'll that as we get to we'll the, get there. as we hit the different points? Because that's point two. We have to get to those passages. But the okay. first one is kind of like less about what he did in hell and more about why did he go to hell. And, and you know, before we even tackle that, maybe we need to talk about the word hell. Right. We did yes. a whole podcast yes. episode yes. on this. We did. Um, this is this is your time to shine. You were getting ready to say this, actually, that in the Greek, it is uh, not yeah, actually yeah, yeah, hell. Yeah. yeah, it's Hades. It's Hades. And uh, that's consistent with what the New Testament says. Now, in Greek, it says he descended in the Greek version of the Apostles' Creed. It says that he descended into Hades. But translators have translated that he descended into hell because we've come to accept hell as kind of an all-inclusive word of what happens after death. Yeah. And that is not Greek or Latin. Uh, no, hell would be. They uh, distinguished. Hell would be Nordic. Areas. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It is. Yeah. It so is. I'm assuming that comes through like German at some point, right? Because could Luther's be. translation. Yeah, it could be. I, I would assume be. there's got to be something going on there. Yeah. Um, because hell or Helia, depending, I think it's right. Helia, right. Um, she is the uh, Nordic goddess right. of death, right. and I think she's like half-sister to Thor or something. I think the, you're right. The Disney universe didn't do it much justice, if no. I remember right. But but yeah, she is like, she is death. She is death personified. And so we take the word hell from our Western interpretation, right, right. or our, right. our European interpretation, I should say, of that word. And we lump some like five different biblical words right. under the guy's hell. Right, right, right. Um, so those words, uh, you've got Sheol, 
Right. Which is the place of the dead. Right. And frequently is just translated the grave. The grave. Right. Yeah. Um, you've got Tartarus. Right. Which would be the Greek equivalent of the pit. That is where the Titans are held. Um, they're they're bound. They're bound. Right. Yeah. They're chained because they rose Tartarus. up against the gods in the right. Greek in Greek right. mythology. Right. And so, because the the Bible is written partially right. in Greek, the New Testament, right. we see the term Tartarus, or you know, the place of holding for the Titans. Um, and that's kind of actually a really interesting concept that we see that word used. Um, Gehenna. Jesus right. speaks about this. This and that's is, that's a Hebrew word that is actually transliterated then into Greek. Right. Um, so Gehenna would be an area outside of Jerusalem, right? It referred to a valley where uh, they would throw their garbage yep. and it just kind of smoldered all the time. Yep. So it, it stank and there's fire there all the time. So it became uh, 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 equivalent to a place of pain and suffering. You almost see a one-for-one one between Gehenna and the Lake of Fire. You start to see some kind of like yeah. overlap there yeah. in the use of those yeah. terms biblically. Uh, you see the pit. The pit is talked mm -hmm. about, but I think that is, once again, kind of a one-for-one for, one for Tartarus. Right, um, right. It's a holding place. And then Hades, which is, I think, the Greek equivalent of Sheol. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to UnityWeekend.com. That's UnityWeekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. Yeah, yeah, is, or yeah, at least yeah. what it's it seems the place to be. of the dead. Yeah, place of the dead, yeah. and then there is the lake of fire, yes, which occurs in uh, Book of Revelation, and that and is it where appears it... to be the final resting place. In fact, I think Revelation says that Hades and death, yes, two different things, are thrown into the lake of fire with the great dragon, yes. the serpent, yeah, and the beast, and the beast, and yes. the beast. Yep. Yeah, which which gets a little, little hairy when you get into the whole like eternal torment versus eternal death conundrum, right? right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, but we're not getting into that today. Right. No. The point is, we believe at, at, through the original writing of the Apostles' Creed in right. Greek, it's talking about going down to Hades or yeah. the place of the dead going or to the grave. Old Testament equivalent of Sheol. Yeah. Right. He's going down to the grave. Um, this actually gets talked about, um, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> There's so much to talk about here. Um, why though? Why the place of the dead? Why does he go down to the place of the dead? Um, I think that Jesus goes down to the place of the dead for three days, specifically three days, because that is Jewish custom on how long it takes for the soul to leave the body. Okay. So had Jesus died for a day and come back, by Jewish statement, his soul would have never left his body, and he technically never would have actually been dead. Okay, okay. Do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah, yeah. So this actually comes, uh, let me pull up my article here. This actually comes from, uh, it's called the Shemira, 
or the watching or the guarding, and it refers to the Jewish religious ritual of watching over the body of a deceased person from the time of death until burial. Okay. Um, and so... So that must be part of the Mishnah. It's uh, the Genesis Kabbah 107 uh, okay. of the Talmud. Okay. It says oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. If it's Talmud, then that's the Mishnah. Okay, gotcha. Yep. It says the soul hovers over the body for three days after death. That it takes the soul, uh, like the the soul is like confused and kind of wondering and not uh -huh. really sure okay. what it's to okay. do yet. Um, and so it takes those three days before the soul actually totally departs from the body. Now, we are not saying this is true. We're not saying that's how it actually works. But what I am saying is Jesus is dying the amount of time needed for any good Jew to go, oh, yeah, he's legitimately dead. Okay. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Had he been yeah. any less than that, then they would have the ability to go, well. <laughs> now, 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 um, there's some disagreements on this, too. Jesus died uh, around 3 o'clock on on. Uh, what we would consider Friday afternoon. Okay. Sabbath started at about 6 p.m. Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. That's why Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea taking Jesus' body off the cross, uh, preparing it for burial, putting it in the ground. Uh, that took place pretty quickly. Uh, he may have been buried actually uh, on the Sabbath. It might have taken him over three hours to do that. But the death took place on Friday at around 3 p.m. Right, and that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about the burial. They're right. talking about the death. They're talking about the death. Right. The resurrection takes place around 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. That is about 40 hours later. But it's over three days. Right. It's over Friday. The Shabbat, the Sabbath, Saturday, and uh, uh, about 12 hours of Sunday. Right. So it's a total of about 40 hours, but it's three days. Right. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. Okay. So the, the second part of this that kind of unfolds is that this is Jesus fulfilling his prediction as well. That he would be the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He says, because just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and condemn the people living today because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But look, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay. Um, so he is, he goes on, he goes on uh, to say more. But the point is, Jesus is making a prediction about himself, just as Jonah was swallowed up by the fish for three days and three nights. And many people believe that Jonah was dead in the belly of that well. Right. And when you yeah. take into conclusion what the Talmud says right. about, you know, three days, the soul leaving the body, he's in a whale for three days, and three nights. That's interesting overlap there. Right. Yeah. Um, Jesus is declaring the same thing on himself. And then he does it. So Jesus is fulfilling his own prophecy. Okay. By going into the grave for three days. Okay. Hades, Sheol, whatever you want to right, call it. Right, right, right. So I think that is the first reason okay. that Jesus does this, or at least the first of the to three fulfill we're prophecy. About. Yeah, 100%. Okay. He's backing up his own claim. Right. I mean, any man that says, I'm going to go die for three days and then pick up my own life. Right. 
probably isn't just some guy, right? <laughs> like, this is a big deal. Now, there are those who say that this whole phrase he descended into hell is actually just a reference that he went to the grave. Sure. You you can take it there. And I yeah. think that's part of it. But the issue is, what is the grave? Right. What, right. What is that? And as we get into scripture, we see there are a few other things that it says very specifically. So this is this is the part. I mean, some I would say would make the argument that the dead are sleeping. Right. I could see that argument. Yeah. And I think there's plenty of scripture to back that up. Right. There are some that would go the Abraham's bosom route. Right. That there's two halves to Sheol. Okay. You know, you, you get a that. A good half and a bad half. <laughs> right, right. That Abraham's bosom is where the righteous are. Right. And then um, what uh, across the great divide and... There's a great abyss. There's a great abyss, but then what's on the other side? A great chasm uh, where they are suffering there in anguish. Uh, I think it mentions flames. And they say, let... Lazarus dip his finger in right. water and come over and rub it on my lips. Right. Right. <laughs> but but I don't think it gives it a name though, right? No, it doesn't give okay. it a different name. But no. Abraham's bosom. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So yeah, you got these two sides. You don't want to be on the one. Right. And the people on the good side kinda really can't do anything about the people on the other side and seem right. kind of unconcerned and right, like, <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. right. Um, but you know, you can also go down the road of like, that seems to be more of a uh, parable that Jesus is telling. Exactly. Yeah. That's um, where my mind went. And, and, is this descriptive or is this figurative? Right. Um, and so my second point would be, um, that I think I think we set all that aside for a minute. Okay. And we got to go and we've got to read 1 Peter 3 okay. and Jude 1, which okay. is what you were talking about earlier, right? Right, okay. right. And there's actually a third passage. Okay. I'm interested. I may yeah. know where I may know what you're talking about actually. Um so 1 Peter 3 um it says this when we go to 3, let's start at 18 and just start reading. Um, 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And the water is a picture of baptism. He goes on to talk yeah. about that deal. Yeah. Yeah. But point being, he, he goes and he preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God patiently waited while Noah was building yeah. his boat. Yeah. Okay. So he's dating this to the time of Noah. Right. Take that. Let's jump over to Jude 1. Okay. Jude 1 says... Which that's all there is, just one chapter. Yeah. So Jude, uh, let's do like Start Jude 1, verse 5. five. Yeah. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. 
and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So you've got Jude 1, or sorry, Peter, first, first Peter 3, you got uh, Jude 1, 5 through 8, 5 seven, through 7, seven. Um, saying you've got these spirits in chains, angels in chains that did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. And now they're locked in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And then he compares those angels to the people in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah mm -hmm. who gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. And then if you put that next to First Peter, he says in the days of Noah. Sexual immorality and perversion. Right. In the days of Noah. And so... Then, if we jump back to Genesis 6, am I correct on that? Uh-huh. If we jump to Genesis 6, it says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim, or giants, were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old and men of renown. Then it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals and birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then it goes directly into, so God tells Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. Yeah. So wait, this is the days of Noah, angels that left their dwelling place. And he's comparing them to the people that sought sexual immorality in Sodom and Gomorrah. What do these angels do? They have sex with the daughters of man and have children by them. They become giants. They pollute the earth with their evil. The nations they overstep their limits of authority, like First Peter says. And now we've gotten first him or in uh, First Peter and Jude. These angels bound in chains, bound in chains. Okay, is that a fair that that's that's where I stand on who Jesus is speaking to, in Sheol. Okay, explain what you mean there. When you say that's who. Who is it that Jesus is speaking to? The the angels that left the their proper dwelling. Angels who have been bound. Or should I say, that you know, angels is probably a Septuagint translation. Right. I would guess that that says sons of God if you read it in its original text. Probably. Regardless. Yeah. Um, you've got, I shouldn't say Septuagint, that would be, yeah. The, sorry. Yeah, right. the divine beings. The, yeah. The, Heavenly beings. The, the the, this is beings. the this is the this is the spiritual sons of God. Yeah. So angels, if you want to call them that, but that's probably a 
uh, not, fallen great, not the best word. Right. Right. These, these fallen sons of God. Um, I believe Jesus is declaring his victory over sin and death to the angels that tried to ruin God's good creation in the very first place. And it goes even deeper than that if you want to go down that rabbit hole. Sure. Why not? So we've started. Okay. <laughs> so with all that said, um, we we kind of gotta gotta get into the weeds a little bit here. Um, Michael Heiser. One of the really interesting things about Michael Heiser is uh, he he's kind of based his whole uh, life study of the weird around a few concepts, and one of those major concepts is the Book of Enoch. That okay. we set the Book of Enoch to the side and go, well, it's not in the Bible, it's not inspired, so it's right. worthless. Right. And Heiser goes, well, it's not the inerrant Word of God. It isn't inspired. It's not perfect. It is not a biblical book. Right. But there's got to be some truth to it. Because Jesus and his disciples quote it. So why would they quote a book that has no reality to it? In fact, the book of Jude quotes it verbatim. Yes. And so what we see here in 1 Peter and Jude is Michael Heiser is saying they are very familiar with the book of Enoch. And they are borrowing from the story of Enoch chapters 6 through 15. Okay. Would you like me to summarize them? Uh, sure. Because there's actually, no way I'm going to sit here and read it. I have it here too, parts of it. If you want me to, I can read. I'll follow we can, along. We can hone in on a few parts. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh. Summarize it. Well, Tell it, me when you want me to. Yeah, that's What cool. does it say? Yeah. So basically the story is this, is in Enoch 6 through 15, these watcher angels see the daughters of man and they see that they're beautiful and their leader's name is Simyaza. And he looks down and he, he's kind of like the, like, I guess you'd call him like the general or something of this like troop of angels or whatever. These, yeah. these, these Says Simyaza being their leader. Right. Right. I mean, so, he's not yeah. God though. He's, no. he's like a lieutenant or something, yeah. right? Like yeah. he's, he has authority over a group of angels yeah. or angelic beings. And he looks at them and he basically decides, hey, I'm going to go down and I'm going to sleep with these women. But I'm not going to do it alone because I'm not going to make this grave sin against God and be the only one to take all the blame here. And so he convinces 200 of his men, his 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 battalion or whatever, yep. to to make a bond with him, to make a pact with him. They swear an oath. Yeah, well, they swear, it says they swear a curse, doesn't it? Uh, it is later called a curse, yeah. but he starts off saying <laughs> yeah. that swear an oath. Yeah. So they swear this oath that they're all going to do this together and they go down and they take these women as their wives and they have kids by them. And these kids become giants, the Nephilim. Now here in Enoch, I have first Enoch six open. Uh, what he says is let's go down have sex with these women so that we can have children. Mm. Uh, the purpose of all of this was to be able to beget children for themselves. Yeah. So, so I mean, but, but okay. So think what Jesus says, the angels of heaven are not to have children. Exactly. <laughs> right. Their proper domain. Cause Jesus, when asked, you know, uh, when they're asked if a woman had five husbands and she mm -hmm. goes to heaven, who will she be married to in heaven? Jesus says, we'll be like, people will be like, 
the angels of heaven, right. they will not have yeah. children. They won't have right. husbands and wives, right? right? Um, and so this seems to be saying it's not that they can't have right. them. It's that they are not to have they them. They are not to have them. When they do, that's part of their fall. Right. And so they look down on these women and see, hmm, these, this is good. Let's go have children. And they do. Interesting. Yeah. So they land down on Mount Hermon. Yes. And uh, Hermon, like we were talking about earlier, sounds like... Uh, Harem. Harem, that's it. Harem, which is, which curse. is a curse. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's a Harem is something that is separated totally to God. So when you violate that, you bring a curse on yourself. That's why a harem, uh, these women are separated to a particular individual. If you go in and sleep with one of them, you die. Mm. You are cursed. Uh, uh, the Lord says to Joshua when they take over the city of Jericho, don't touch the gold, don't touch anything in the city. I am declaring that cherem. I'm declaring that separated solely to me. And when Achan does, it brings a curse, not just on him, but on all of Israel. So the cherem is the wives that they take. Yeah. And they do sleep with the the, the cursed Which wives. Which brings the curse right. on them right. and on the rest of you. It's been set apart. Yep. It has no place for them. They That's take right. it. They bring a curse upon themselves. And they that is exceed why it, the area of responsibility. Right. Area of authority. They left like their proper uh, dwelling. Jude says. Yeah. 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 So that um so that's why it's called Mount Hermon. Is it actually sounds kind of like. Harem, right? Yeah, at least yeah, in it's, Hebrew. It's a different word, but well, it's similar sounding. And that's pretty common for, for the Hebrews to do that, that if two words sound similar, that there's sometimes a connection drawn between those words, even if they are not the same word. Um, so this happens. God, uh, well, sorry, before we even get to God, you've got Raphael, Uriel, Gabriel, Gabriel and Michael are all sitting up on top of, uh, you know, the, they're in heaven. They're watching down, right? And they're watching. And what happens is Azazel comes. That's the angel of death, right? Yep. yep. And he starts teaching man how to forge weapons and how to go exactly. to war with each Swords, other. knives, shields, breastplates. And then, uh, Jin, Jin, uh, what's his name? Sin, uh, Sinyaza. He comes and he starts teaching his wives, these humans, um, how to do certain types of evil and all his men each bring their own certain type of evil. And among these, you've got like astrology and magic incantations. and incantations. What yeah. else does it say? Yeah. Yeah. It says, uh, this one, uh, taught them to commit adultery in the air. Conduct became a curse. Uh, Amasras taught incantation and the cutting of roots. Armoros the resolving of incantations, Barakial, astrology, Kokarel, the knowledge of the signs, and Tamel, the seeing of the stars, and Asderel, the course of the moon, and the deception of mankind. So so here you've got like the proliferation of sin. Yeah. And that's how the Jews looked at this as it, like that second fall They account. were taught to do this. Yeah, the, like the first sin, the fall of man happened in the garden, but here you see a fall of angelic beings. Yes. 
and you see the proliferation of sin. It's like the fallen men and the fallen angels have come together and they're making the world way worse together. And like Genesis says, the only thought that he ever had was of evil and it was all the time. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so you've got uh, the, the archangels, as some might call them, you know, Michael and Gabriel and Raphael and Uriel. You know, th there's no real bib biblical reference for right. all of those names, but we do get Michael and Gabriel in the Bible. Yeah. Um, but regardless, in this story, uh, this extra biblical story, they're looking down and they see all this and they go to God and they're like, well, what do we do? You know, you know what's going on. We know you know what's going on. What do we do, Lord? And God says to Raphael, he says, go take Azazel and bind him and put him in a pit. Yep. And you heap sharp rocks on top of him. Yep. And he can't go anywhere until, to say, until the day of his judgment. Yeah. Yeah, it says... Uh... Um, he threw on top of a rugged and sharp props, covered his face that he might not see the light in order that he may be sent into the fire on the great day of judgment. Yeah. So he says that to Raphael, to Gabriel, he says, go and take all of these sons of these angelic beings and women and go set them to war against each other. Go, yes. go kill them essentially. Yeah. Um, and he does. And he tells Michael, go and get Simyaza and all of his men and bind them and put them in a valley at the foot of Mount Hermon. Is that right? Uh, I'm reading through here. It he certainly says to bind them. And I'm not seeing where it says at the foot of Mount Hermon, but uh, uh, I'm bind them in a valley. Not... Yeah. Hold on. Let me pull up my version. Uh, da, 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 da. Uriel, Uriel was to carry the message to Enoch. Oh, Uriel goes and gets Enoch. Yeah, oh, Uriel okay. goes and tells Enoch, here's what you're supposed to write. Okay, I, I and couldn't remember And so then he, he writes the other stuff. Okay, so to Michael, where is Michael in all this? Uh, it starts at verse 11. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, go bind Simyaza and his associates who have united themselves with women so as to have defiled themselves with them in all their uncleanness. When their sons have slain one another, they've uh, bind them fast for 70 generations in the valleys of the earth till the day of their judgment and of their uh, consummation. Yeah. Okay. So in the valleys. Um, okay. So this all happens supposedly around Mount Hermon, right? Well, here's here's why this is interesting to me. At the foot of Mount Hermon is a place called, uh, well, in in the Bible we hear of a place called Bashan, right? Bashan right. is an evil place. Right, 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 right. It's where it's thought to be the gates of hell are. Okay. Right? Um, this is actually interesting because this is what is Caesarea Philippi in the New Testament. And so many believe that Jesus is standing on this mountain when he says to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock yeah. I will build my kingdom, and the gates of hell won't be able to rage against it. Right. This is all taking place in the general location where angelic beings rebelled against God. Or at least they understood, they understood that this is where that took right. place. And one of the reasons they understand that is because in the book of Deuteronomy, no, in the book of Numbers, and then later in the book of Joshua, 
when Israel fights against King Og, mm -hmm. who is called the last of the giants. Yep. He ruled from Mount Hermon to the west. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's Mount Hermon is this area. Right. And that's where they said, oh, well, yeah, that's where the giants were. That's where that's where the the fallen angels came down and produced giants. Right. And I mean this this logic, this stuff runs so deep across cultures that by the time this is Caesarea Philippi, this place has been a place committed to the worship of Pan, which is actually in the Middle Ages where we get all of our, like he's a satyr, he's a half goat man, right, which right. is where we get our imagery for what the devil looks like. Exactly, right? yeah. Or, or, Hooved with right. horns and, right. yeah. Which, I mean, that it's not how it is, I'm no. sure. But, like, but that's how we've characterized right. him over there based on Pan. Well, the place at the base of Mount Hermon is two pools, two of these... Uh, two underwater streams, right? Yeah, and they're believed to be the entrance to the underworld. They're springs of water that just come out of the ground. Yeah, it's called Banias or Panaya, Panea. Okay. It's got okay. different ways okay. of saying it, but it's this is dedicated to Pan. And so Jesus is standing... Oh, okay, yeah, Jesus is yeah. standing on this mountain that is a mountain built on the place where... Angels have landed to go ruin God's good earth and a place that is believed to be the mouth of hell. And Jesus says, and you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell will not rage against it. Yeah. Jesus is essentially standing on what Heiser calls, well, yeah, Heiser calls it ground zero. Yeah. He's like, he's standing at ground zero and he's going, I'm here and I'm calling you all out. I'm building my kingdom here, and you have no claim on it. You'll be able to do nothing about it. Which, if you think about it, isn't that what he does with the church? He says, wherever Satan's kingdom is present, I want you to go there. Yeah. I want you to establish the church yeah. there. Because he can't fight. He can't win against you. He can't him. win. Yeah. So go, yeah, go take over all things that are evil. So Jesus is calling out the bad guys in bad guy territory 101, right? This is interesting because uh, let, let's go back to Enoch. The Enoch, Uriel goes and gets Enoch. Enoch yeah. goes and he talks to the watchers that are now imprisoned, right? They've all been imprisoned by, by Michael yeah. and by yeah. Raphael. Yeah. And then Gabriel set all the giants against each other, right? Uh, which falls in line with the Greek Titan thing we were talking about right. earlier, which is right, right, right. crazy. This all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so what you see is the watchers look at, at uh, Enoch, and they're like, please go talk to God for, for us. Pray for us. Pray for well, us. They, yeah, intercede they, for us. They write a petition. Yeah. They, they give him all their words. They say, here, please, we can't talk to God anymore. Please go talk to him on our behalf. And so they, they give him their petition. He listens to all their words, and he starts to leave to go talk to God. And as he's on his way, he falls asleep, and he has this dream. Yes. And he realizes in the dream, God is not going to hear what they have to say. Right. And so he goes back to them and he says, there will be no peace for you. He says that at the start. This is now First Enoch chapter 13. Then he talks to God. Uh-huh. God tells him, you're a righteous man. You're a good man. These are wicked. They're never going to see the light of day, essentially. And right. it ends with, there will, there will be, be no, no peace, peace for them. And that's chapter 16, verse 3, the end of that 
And so here's, here's what I think Jesus is doing. I think Jesus has declared, I'm going to build my kingdom on the gates of hell and it will not, it will not overcome. Yeah. Nothing will be able to rage against my kingdom. And then he dies. And when he goes down into the grave, I think Jesus goes to the pit in which these beings that have sinned against God are held. And I think he looks at them and he says, I just want you to know, like, as I, I was listening to Heiser talk about this, he said, he, he, Jesus probably said, like, you know, it's probably weird you seeing me here. <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, what am I doing here? He's like, but I want you to know, you thought you won. You thought that you, you, you would be able to destroy God's plan. But I want you to know, you haven't. Yeah. And I've won. Here I am. And you're going to be here. And I'm going to leave now. <laughs> <laughs> and that he's telling these, these rebels that initially tried to destroy humanity and creation, you lost. And then he leaves. That's pretty awesome. You know, the first thing I thought about as you were talking about that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think we did a, we did a podcast on Bonhoeffer, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Been a minute. So here's a guy who, at the start of World War II, he is German, German descent, and he lives in New York City. He's been invited to be the chancellor, the president of Union Seminary. Big position, prestigious position. He'll be able to prepare hundreds and thousands of pastors. And he says, no. And he goes back to Germany. He goes to the gates of hell and he preaches against it. Hmm. And he stands up to Hitler. He's thrown into prison. First, though, he creates underground seminaries to prepare preachers. The Nazi party had taken over the Lutheran church and turned it into a Nazi church where Hitler's rhetoric was being preached. He Bonhoeffer goes, he stands against that. He, he makes underground seminaries. He ends up going to prison. And a week before the Allies come to the prison, the concentration camp where he is held, they take him out in the back and they hang him. They kill him. He gives his life. And the gates of hell could not stand against Bonhoeffer, against God, and what Bonhoeffer represented. That's what we're called to do, man. Go represent Jesus. Yeah. In the darkest places of the in world. In the darkest places. Because you Jesus can did find. it first. Jesus yeah. went to the darkest place and he looked evil right in the face and said, You don't win. You can't win. Like, that's huge. And I think people get really upset when you focus on that part of it because it seems braggy. God gets to be braggy. Oh, <laughs> he's the only one <laughs> because he's doing it the right way. I mean, he is the true victor. And here is another reason. Point three is support for why I believe part two. Okay. All right. Here's point three. Point three is this. Uh, it's Ephesians four. Yeah. That's the other place I was going. Yeah. 
Yeah, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then it goes on and it says that those gifts are... Where is it? Apostles. Where is Verse it? 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, yes. preachers, and teachers. Yes. And so, I mean... They're like, leaders. They're the church leaders. It's, it's the church. The church is the gift that he's given, right? But here's the interesting part. Do you know what, it's, do you know what he's quoting? Uh, he's quoting a psalm, isn't he? He is. He is quoting Psalm 68, but it does not read the way that he, yeah, he quotes it. Right. Psalm 68 says, da, 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 where is it? Oh, come on. Here it is. Uh, it's 6818. When you ascend on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Okay? Here's what he's painting. He's painting the picture of a victor of a war. Because what happens when somebody wins the war? They, they get, get the, the spoils. Yeah. They get the spoils. Booty's an interesting term. But <laughs> <laughs> they get the spoils of war. And what did good generals do? They shared the spoils of the war with their men. And what is the spoils of, of Christ's war? All of his creation. He has just taken back everything that was his, including the people. He has saved those that were lost. He has given them a chance at life if they would just put their faith in him. And to them he gives what? The church. He, he makes them the church. To go out and, like you said, to stand in the face of darkness and conquer darkness yeah. for Christ. This is like the beginning of a war that is won already, but there's plenty to be done still. Yeah. Like, that's the crazy thing about this. So I believe the third thing is that Jesus receives his spoils of war, which is us, which is all of creation. He is taking all authority back because it goes on here to say... Uh, right after that in Psalm 68, praise be to the Lord, to God, our savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves from the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go in, uh, go on in their sins. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan. I will bring them from the depths of the sea that your feet may wade in the blood of your foes while the tongues of your dogs have their share. What are what is Bashan and what is the depths of the sea? Right. Hell and death. Yep. He's bringing the captives out of hell and death and he's saving them. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so wild. Yeah. It's so cool. Like and Bashan gets right back to Mount Hermon, doesn't it? Right. It all comes back full circle. And yeah. so so here's what we're saying is uh, we're not to say that we believe that the book of Enoch is like scripture. It's not. No, it's not. Definitely not. But is there some truth to it? And does it tell us where the Jewish mindset was? 
to the certainly point, tells us the, where the Jewish mindset was. Well, to the point that it affects Peter and Timothy, yeah. or sorry, Peter and Jude's writing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's got to be some truth here. So that is what I believe happened in that story. Was there more? Probably. There is generally more with oh, God. Yeah. Um, For sure. I, I know there are some people probably going, well, wait. You know, aren't you going to talk about how he went and he preached the gospel to all the like souls there? I, I'm open to that being a possibility, but I don't necessarily see that reflected in scripture when you read Peter and Jude through the lens of Genesis 6 and right, 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 right. I'm not saying that is not possible. I'm not saying he didn't do that. But if you want our stance on how people were saved before Jesus, we have actually we got have an entire episode on that. On that. Yeah. Um, so I'm not nixing that. We're not saying that's not possible. I'm saying I don't necessarily see that represented right. in these scriptures. Right. Is that fair? Yep. Right on. All right. Do you have anything to add to this rant? Of oh, life? gosh. No. No, I don't. I, know. I mean, one of the things I did... Uh, one of the things I studied was called uh, Second Temple Judaism, and that is uh, all of the temple of Zerubbabel, from Zerubbabel up to King Herod. So uh, it's all the intertestamental literature, and Enoch is is one of the main books from it. So, yeah, I've been studying this for about going on to 40 years now, believe it or not. So what's your major takeaway? I think you're absolutely right. Okay. I think you're absolutely right. It is certainly not inspired. This is not scripture. I don't base my life on it. But I find answers in the book of Enoch that satisfy kind of my questions about, well, why did they believe that? Oh, it's because they were told that. Right. And not all Israel knew of the book of Enoch. But there was enough of the talk around that they understood, they might not have been able to quote it like Judah eventually did, but they probably knew Mount Hermon was supposed to be the place where the sons of God came down from heaven and fell. Well, even to the point that I mean, like talking about, we got into like the Jew or sorry, the Greek mythology a little bit. Yeah, that it matches the story it does which is so odd that the story is like cross crossing cultural boundaries yeah that makes it all the more real in my mind to me it says this is their kind of uh, collective memory yeah of what went on and they twisted it and they perverted it and they put weird names to it and other weird things to it but what stands behind it is uh, a truth. Divine beings came and uh, uh, perverted the world. Yeah. Yep. So what did Jesus do for three days in the grave? He proved that he was God because he died for three days, which no man can, can deny as a death. Right. And then he raised himself from the grave. Yes. While he was in that grave, he, he went trash talked and he trash talked. <laughs> he trash talked the powers of darkness and said, "I win." Yeah. And you tried to destroy these people, and you tried to destroy God's goodness, and you can't because it, He will always overcome you. God and wins. I have overcome you. God wins, and then 
He comes and he collects the spoils of war and he shares them with his people. And that is his church. And that is our duty to go and spread the goodness of God to all the earth, even in the faces of the weakened powers of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus has stripped darkness of all of its power. It has some, it has some, I shouldn't say all, it has some, but not against his church, not against his people. And he's calling us to go declare Christ's victory. You know, if you kill a rattlesnake and then accidentally prick yourself on its fang, it'll poison you. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, that's the story of, they are defeated. It doesn't mean that they have no power. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that doesn't mean that we aren't called to a dangerous life. Right. We are. But we know who has the victory in the end because it's already been declared. That's Jesus Christ. I hope that you guys learned something from this. I hope that you uh, liked it. If you've got questions, yo, send them to us. We want to know your thoughts, your questions. What's a good thing to ask for questions on? Because we want you to write in. We want you to connect with us. We want you to give us ideas. I'm trying to think of a good one. Let's see. What are your thoughts on, what are your questions about salvation? Is that a good one? Sure. It's basic, but it's a good starting point. Write in questions you have about salvation, please. I would love to talk about that issue. Um, Go to our website. That is saltysaintspodcast.com. I had to think about that for a second. Or you can email us at questions at becomehope.com or salty saints at becomehope.com. Is that right? Boy, that is all kinds of I know. There's places so much. you could write. I yeah. know. Why don't you just go to the website? Yeah. <laughs> SaltySaintsPodcast.com. Yeah. And leave us a verbal question. Yeah, you can do it through voicemail, or you can leave us your email. You can, uh, we promise we won't badger you too hard. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, get, leave us your questions however you want. Other than that, go check out our friends at LifeAudio.com. They're awesome. We love them. They have tons of podcasts, really fun podcasts on everything biblical. Uh, So get over there, see what all options they have, check them out. And until next time, stay salty. This is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Ministry podcast. Learn how to share and defend your faith by listening to us weekly. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.